0: G'day, Warwick. G'day, Nicole, and hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. Are you ready? I know you're all anticipating this. This
1: is apprehensive.
0: Okay. I did go to hospital last week and I had a bit of surgery. I took a selfie after my kidney removal surgery. Wow. And then I hashtag no filter. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast with your hosts, Warwick Didwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Was and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets, and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade, helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business.
1: That is actually pretty good, Coxie. I uh, I have to say, I'm usually prepared for a really terrible mum joke. No, I like and that. And you've you've brought the goods today. I'm just not sure how I'm gonna segue <laughs> kidney <laughs> removal and mum joke about hashtags into our chat with today's guest, though, Coxie.
0: No, it could be a little challenging, although I seem to remember some pretty cool stories from deep in the forest on a mm, walk- yes. Day, yes. day. Um I don't even know the right word for it, but I'm sure that there could have been. Some visionary stuff around kidneys or all sorts of
1: things. <laughs> Could have been part of the hallucinations yeah. that our guest was having. and I think maybe there was some psychedelics in there, I'm not sure, maybe not. I don't want to drop him in the in the the poo here. Um, but you know kidneys filter out all the trash in our lives. so perhaps we're talking about that today. Nice. and I'm just going to stop digging a hole that our guest cannot get out of. Sorry about that. Joe Panay, welcome mm-hmm. to the Tradies in Business <laughs> podcast mate. <laughs> Thanks, Waz.
2: Hey Nicole, <laughs> I did enjoy that joke. I must admit. Thanks, Joe. I feel so much better.
0: That's two compliments today. Well, oh. you, you're, we're, we're in a roll here, you
2: know.
0: I'm loving this. I needed this for my self-esteem and my ego this morning, Joe. Thank you.
1: <laughs> now, Love Joe. It. Um, apologies if I have mispronounced your your last name. Um, no, and that's also... right. Yeah, you got it right if I've also accused you of taking psychedelic substances in the forest uh, when you did not. So uh, maybe we should give you the opportunity to exonerate yourself and uh, just tell a bit of your story, mate, we did, we did meet you at um, a conference that Nicole and I attended as attendees recently, listeners. So Nick and I actually go um, to conferences ourselves for learning, we do work on our own selves uh, quite a bit. And we are coached as well. So despite being business coaches, we, we try and eat our own cooking in that way. And we were fortunate enough to sit in a room of, I think, several hundred people, Joe, um, yeah. at the conference. And uh, and Joe jumped up on stage and uh, told a bunch of stories that uh, just had the audience um, in in uh I can't think of the language anyway, it's escaping me today. Thrilled. But enthralled. Thank you, Coxie. Uh so and I just went, Wow, this dude is speaking our language. This is some stuff that doesn't get discussed by business coaches, I think, much. And if it does, it's probably a bit um almost medicalized. You know, you do a test and you get a number and that's your thing, that's your score. But Loved how you talked about this topic of emotional intelligence, Joe, and just some of your stories, mate. So I'm going to do something I rarely do, which is shut up and um, let you speak for yourself, mate.
2: Well, thanks, Waz. Thanks, Nicole. Look, thanks for having me on board here, too. It's uh, much appreciated. uh, Appreciated a lot, actually. Um, Yeah, so... Well, briefly, um, I guess for your listeners, um, yeah, 52, been married for half my life, 26 years. That's why I I just woke up to that uh, just a few weeks ago. I thought, oh my lord, (laughs) half my life has been married. Yeah, okay. Um, And happily at that. And we've got uh, 14-year-old twin boys, which uh, is a beautiful blessing. And I've been operating my own uh, coaching, consulting, training business in the human behavioral space, specializing in emotional fitness uh, now for the last 16 years. So... uh, yeah, look, essentially, what's, a lot of things have inspired, motivated, influenced uh, what's been happening over the last, uh, you know, 15, 16 years of my career, um, but uh, something that I think happens to all of us, if not most of us, uh, is that at some point, we all get lost, you know, we get lost in our direction, we get lost in life, We, we it's very easy to fall into a state of confusion and anxiety in life. Um you know? mm. Sounds like we're getting into this pretty quickly, aren't we? Well, Love it. Oh, yeah. Let's Love just jump it. straight <laughs> in the deep end, mate. <laughs> well, we might as well just keep swimming at the deep end. So, But it happens to all of us at some point, whether it's in a career transition, whether it's in a relationship ending, whether it's, uh, you know, and in, 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 in a lot of cases, that person's career and business is going well. Their relationship at home is seemingly going well. And yet they're lost inside. They're they're suffering a silent inner turmoil this is very common as well mm. um, so a lot of people look mighty fine on the outside but on the inside they're they really are living according to you know what um, Thoreau spoke about all those years ago living a life of quiet desperation so what I found is that I went through that myself in the third in my in my 30s um, I was in a job that I actually enjoyed very very much and uh, did this particular job for seven years and the first 5 years absolute fun and loved it all good great uh and then uh it didn't happen overnight but slowly over, over a period of about a year i began losing interest in the things that used to excite me the thought of buying a new car um earning more money uh hitting targets um winning another award being accoladed for something being rewarded for something being seen as this that the other all, all good things you know um you know, buying a new house—all these things were just becoming, you know, beige and not very interesting to me anymore. Which was a concern because I thought, "This is strange. Why? Why am I feeling like this?" And and I actually thought, "Oh, this is maybe what they mean when they say that you, you know, you, you can fall into a depression." It's like, why would you be depressed? Why? What makes you get depressed? And and I and and I guess I experienced that on some level. But um through my journey over the last sixteen years, what I have learned is that we're all Yes, we're all on unique journeys, of course, unique, unique experiences, etc. But from a macro-universal behavioural perspective, we're on the same journey. And that path is a journey of ambition to meaning. And it's a, it's a journey that is a values evolution. It's a priority shift. It is a change of who you're becoming as a woman, who you're becoming as a man. And these changes don't happen on a conscious level. They happen unconsciously, which means... They happen behind the scenes, beyond our awareness. It happens organically. You can't stop it, and 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 then and so so especially when we're leaving the world of ambition, and I'll go a little bit deeper into ambition and meaning in a second. But when we're leaving ambition and going into a meaning sort of driven existence, um, that's where all the confusion and the turmoil is. So for yeah, for about a year, I was. Um, know everything looked fine on the outside all that was good um you know I wasn't like going psycho or anything but inside like I I remember I remember specifically going for a walk with my wife uh one evening uh just was a summer night we went for a walk we had no kids at that stage life was simple we didn't realize how how imprisoning children can be babies. Uh when we had the baby boys, that was a different story. But before that, we were living in an interim bliss that you could leave home anytime and don't worry about anything. And um and I remember we were walking and it was a beautiful evening. Gorgeous, evening, nothing to complain about. And yet as we were walking around, I was feeling this heaviness. I was feeling this daunting freaking I don't know what you want to call it. It was just a dark cloud. And I thought, you know, I've had um, people in my outer, in my family, outer sort of cousins who are kind of kind of related, I guess, um, who have had chemical imbalances and have been on antidepressants and, and all this sort of thing. And and I, I don't want to say, I don't want to sound, I hope that that tone didn't come across as disrespectful to anyone who is on a medication. That's not, that was not my intention, but that's that's how I felt about it. I thought, no, well, I'm like, no, what's going on? Mm. So what was actually happening was my values were changing. My areas of interest were expanding. And and it wasn't until I got home uh, from work another night, on another evening, where Silvana, Silvana's my wife, where Silvana had a friend of hers over who was just particularly perky as I shared at the conference, particularly excited, and I, and, and I thought, gee, you know, so we, we got talked. I said, what's, what's going on? You know, why, why are you, what are you excited about? And she was going on about this, this uh, residential retreat that she did, this meditative residential retreat that she did, did over three nights on a weekend and how it's changed and shifted her perspective and how she's loved it and how she got back in touch with, you know, what's important and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, oh, my God, this sounds like what I need, right? And then the long and the short of it is I went onto the website that she referred me to and and back in 2000. And, three really, websites were pretty basic you know mm. six or seven pages yeah read them all um rang the company that rang this uh, that ran this retreat and uh, and as you recall in the conference i had this conversation with the with the director of the company where i offered to work well like, i actually asked if they had any work they said no and i i even offered to work with them for nothing i was so desperately looking for something that had meaning now i didn't have mm. this language i wasn't thinking I'm on this journey from ambition to meaning. I'm looking for a deeper existence. I'm looking to, you know, evolve. I didn't have this language. Because when you don't have the language and you're confused, the confusion becomes thicker and darker and heavier. When you put language on, it's like, oh, my God, is that, is that, is that what it is that's going on? So um, I, without even knowing, I was uh, walking through a revolving door into the world of sabbatical, into the world of, Meditation into the world of these things called residential retreats, which I had never heard of before. I heard of meditation at the time, but I hadn't heard of things, you know, things like altered states of consciousness, solemn retreats, uh, breath work, um, sweat lodges. There's um, uh, all and all these other dance expression. I never heard of any of these things. I thought people who do these kinds of things, they're either, you know, nuts or strange, or need some kind of special help. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think it was, I, I didn't know what it was, right? So um, I entered this world in desperation, mm. looking for some kind of answer, I guess. And uh, and that's when I began to learn that, yeah, I, I was evolving as a human being, like we all do, from ambition to meaning. And the ambition-driven world is an egocentric world where we're in the comparison game where I am, you know, how do I know if I'm winning? Well, I've got to compare myself to Nicole or to Woz or to Jack down the road or to my parents or to somebody. You know, what matters in the ambition-driven world? Winning, fast, first, uh, don't come last, don't lose, don't fail. You've got to succeed. Hit KPIs, hit numbers, make more money, make more money, make more money. There's nothing wrong with making more money when you're chasing more money you don't know why you're chasing it you're going to end up where i ended up which is lost mm. because then you've got all this money and it's like well why, why am i still feeling the same if not even worse than what i felt like before so that egocentric existence where our definition how we define ourselves our identity it's based on our role it's based on our results it's based on our job it's based on our business and so suddenly the market changes or the economy shifts and we lose money, lose a job, lose a business partner, um, something ends in the business, an income stream stops. If we're defined by all those things, we're going to feel emotionally unwell, and I'm putting that very mildly, because our identity goes away with that opportunity because that's how we're defining ourselves. That's how powerful how we define ourselves actually is. Um, Was I considered there's a question or a comment or something?
1: (laughs) I'm I'm uh, just standing here relearning some fabulous lessons from you, Joe. (laughs) But I'm actually standing here uh, because I like to stand up for our podcast recording listeners. Um, And and I'm reflecting back on my life, Joe, as you're speaking. And I hope some of our listeners are doing the same. I'm reflecting back on periods of time where I was very um, driven by ambition. You know, it was about. Uh, sales figures in a month, or the sort of car that I drove, and I actually have done a lot of reflection because because I'm um not far behind you in the age stakes, and have suffered quite a bit of loss in my life. Um, which many people, by the time we get to our age, you know, whatever that looks like for for different people, and and I've had some fabulous opportunities to reflect on the last twenty years of my life and realize that I was playing the ambition game one hundred percent through certain periods of my life and I actually look at those with a bit of wistful sadness almost that well, was you idiot uh, and and unfortunately I've invalidated those times in my life to some extent um, whereas now I look back on that and I think well I'm glad that I did that stuff because I learned a heck of a lot, um, I spent a lot of money and uh, and now through traders in Business and what Coxie and I do here I really enjoy what we do because it brings me fulfillment and some days I still get burned out and tired and I'm not sure maybe you can speak to that as well, Joe, mm, um, but I really feel like like the the need to do what we do comes from a much different place yeah. and ironically or perhaps not surprisingly, um, I'm better off now in an ambition sense than I've ever been in my entire life and yet it's not my focus. Yes. So that's so what that's, that's that's the look a, you were seeing my face.
2: <laughs> What's that one?
1: That's the look you were seeing on my face. That's the look I could see. (laughs) Uh,
2: Look, and to be really, really clear here, there is nothing wrong with the ambition-driven world. Well, then why do you kind of talk about it like it's a bit negative? It's not that it's negative. It's just that we know where it leads to. So, in other words, if if you are in the ambition-driven world, kicking goals, making the numbers, creating the income, beating your competitors, doing all that, and you genuinely feel good, I say, rock on. You're emotionally fit. Go for it. Because emotional fitness is, I've got many definitions of it, but the essence, the core definition of emotional fitness is measured by the quality of your relationship with uncertainty. And in the ambition-driven world, you're handling lots of uncertainty. Is the sale coming? Are they going to say yes to me? Where's my next business coming from? What about that investment I'm making? Is that going to be right? Is that going to win? Is that going to lose? What about, you know... um, and on it goes from there. So, and if you're feeling good and if you're feeling you're feeling alive in the ambition-driven world by winning, I say rock on. You're emotionally fit because when you're feeling good, it means from a behavioural perspective that your values are in complete alignment to what you are doing in that particular part of your life. It's when your values are out of alignment that you feel emotionally unwell, and we know this because I, I, I the value is defined as a as an emotional compass that unconsciously steers you and guides you in influencing all of your decisions. I mean, the reasons why uh, people fall in love, either with people or with jobs or with careers or with uh, countries or cities, it's because of a values alignment. Um, you know, Savannah and I, the reason why we're still successfully, happily together you know, 26 years, but 29 years all up, really, since we met, uh, or 30 years, really, 1992. Is that because, well, or 1993? My God, I'm losing it. So um,
1: <laughs> we won't tell him, mate. No.
2: So the reason why that was another girl, in 1992. That's quite,
1: quite <laughs> we definitely won't but tell. I, us that's Silvana fine. About I can that. say that
2: because it was before I met Silvana. Yeah. So I was with somebody else, but that was in 92. Um, so anyway, the uh, the point I'm making is the reason why we're still successfully together is because of a values alignment. We've been blessed and very lucky. Let me be also very clear on this. It hasn't taken just, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it's because I'm learned and I know shit and that's why my marriage is successful. No, I reckon there's a high level of luck mm. because we've evolved together and grown together. We don't grow at the same time. Mm. Your listeners can only hear this. They can't see this. Correct. So if I'm moving my hands, they can't <clears throat> see this. Is that right, was?
1: That's right. But That's keep moving your hands, because because I, I uh,
2: for us. yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate the hand motions.
2: Yeah. So do you always do these topless ones? You you don't have any clothes on. Well,
1: generally depend. I go and check out the guest first, and I think what they're going to respond best to.
2: And guys, you should see what Nicole's wearing. She's looking amazing.
1: Uh...
2: <laughs> three, Joe. That's three. <laughs> There's, there's, a, there's been a fair bit of luck. So, why I've spoken about this because we've grown and evolved together. As our values have both moved from ambition to meaning, it's a values shift. Uh, it just happens to be that both of us in different times have gone into the meaning driven world. Whereas relationships that don't uh, last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years and beyond, uh, there's lots of reasons why, obviously, mm. that, that happens. But from a behavioral perspective, it's because of a values disparity a value mm. disparity where one has grown in one direction and the other one either has not grown or gone backwards or grown in a completely different direction. Mm. And you can't have someone who's, who's deeply in the meaning driven world, kind of like hanging with a, you know, for, I'm talking, I'm talking about an intimate relationship with someone who is at the very beginning of the ambition driven world. The priorities are just different. Mm. What grabs their attention is completely different. They live in completely different worlds you know, the overlap might be the sexual encounter, for example, in a, in a, in a, in a mm-hmm. romance, right? But this is why uh, the sexual part, if it doesn't have the values part to it, it's just a short-lived, you know, mm. short-term fun kind of thing, if that makes any sense. So, so the ambition to meaning uh, journey is one where you move from egocentricity into heart-centricity. It's where you become more transparent, It's where the psychological veil gets very thin, which is a fancy way of saying, you have no fears in being you, talking from your heart, speaking truth, embracing vulnerability. Vulnerability is not necessarily just tears. That's only one little slither of vulnerability. Vulnerability is you being you. So in other words, me being vulnerable, being part of a team means I feel comfortable enough or uncomfortable enough to be me and still belong to that team, to that community, to that group. Whereas a lot of people don't belong to that group that they're in. They're fitting in. Mm. They're sacrificing aspects of their inner world to be accepted by the people over there because they're in survival mode, psychologically speaking. So um, what you were experiencing in the ambition-driven world for a while was probably fantastic. And And I want to reiterate that point. If you're feeling really good hitting the numbers and winning and I say, fantastic. Mm. That's the whole point of life is to feel good and enjoy yourself. What will happen at some point is that your values evolve. So what happens is an organisation has a certain set of values, whatever they are. We'll call them A, B, and C. And then you evolve into E, F, and G, completely different priority shifts. So for me, I was in a sales environment for those seven years, and then I started becoming interested in spiritual development, Uh, Alter states of consciousness, uh, mindset, psychology, the human condition, relationships, what makes us, uh, you know, create the beliefs that we have? Why do I believe this and you believe that? You know, how could you possibly follow the NRL? That makes no sense. Um, You know, so sorry, I've offended half of the listeners here probably. No, it's Um, okay. Yeah, I'm an AFL guy and you can say the same thing to me and (laughs) I accept it. Um, But the point I'm making is that our values are moving all the time. And if the environment around us is not shifting with us, we will get lost. So mm. when I say I've been lucky with my wife, I've been lucky because her environment, her inner world environment, and my inner world environment have been evolving together. It's not because we're especially skilled. It's because I reckon we're bloody lucky. Now, does the skill and the awareness come into it? Of course mm. it does. Mm. But you can have all the awareness and the skill in the world. And if your values are different, you ain't going to fix it. <laughs> it right. just can't. So, yeah. Um, I hope that's making sense. It's an extension upon a comment you made there was. Totally yeah. making
0: sense. And I wonder if we can just stay on that thread for a little bit, Joe, because I've had some conversations of late with both men and women. We work with a lot of couples in business. And so we have quite intimate conversations with our clients. And I've had a fair bit of fear reflected back to me at various points around personal growth and what that can often leave behind. Um, and specifically from husbands and wives and how that might impact their journey within their relationship. So I find it really interesting where you're talking about how you consider it some luck and some skill, of course, that you and your wife have been able to have that growth trajectory at least somewhat together in a way that you can maintain the connection through. And yet for some people, that's not entirely possible, exactly as you've just referenced with moving out of that sales space in your career. Um, My own journey, very similar to Arik's, was the same i i it was a little bit before 2003 it would have been around 2000 2001 i was very lucky to have a family member come into my life that had a very different set of values than i had probably experienced before and it triggered a lot of personal growth and learning for me and that actually meant it was almost like shedding the skin and turning into a butterfly yeah because i left so much behind in doing so and that can be a really scary journey for many and and what i'm seeing a lot of at the moment is that fear around, well, if I do this work on myself and I start down that journey of personal growth, what could that mean for me? And so mm. I can give a lot of reassurance around my own journey and where I ended up, but I'd really love to understand it from your perspective, not only from what you've been through, but what you see in working with people through some of these shifts that they work through.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Let me just extend on that comment about marriage just for a moment because I don't want listeners to be thinking, oh, this is luck, so I've had bad luck or I've had good luck lucky is part of it yeah but, but the other part of it just to complete that circle is that Silvana and I we we are what we call professional givers of significance which means that we have a profound genuine respect for each other and it's and it's and it's demonstrated through the way that we speak the tone body language all that sort of stuff we have a a very healthy respect for each other and we never the litmus test is this there is nothing that i ever say when she's not around that i wouldn't be comfortable saying if she was around we never ever speak negatively about each other behind each other's back uh, she, she's astounded how many of her girlfriends speak so disrespectfully and awfully about their husbands. And I say, that's a big problem. It's not the woman's problem. It's not even the, I don't know whose problem it is, but it's a problem in that relationship mm. Mm. because for them to have to find a outsider to vent frustration is showing me that that relationship is very unhealthy
3: mm. and,
2: and, and they haven't found a way to communicate their their honesty or their truth around something. Mm. And and so we 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 have that. I've never in in the thirty years that we've known each other, um, never have we both, you know, have we you know, spoken of of ill of the of of each other behind each other. And and even if even if you know, and even if we're, even if we're in different social situations or work situations, we will never behave in a way that we, as I just said earlier, that we would not behave if that other if our partner was in the room. So this includes flirting mucking around you know all that kind of stuff that happens right now we all well i should say we all flirt because maybe we don't i do she does but it's not it's not overt it's not done disrespectfully or rudely mm. we make supposed inappropriate comments but it's 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 no different to how we would be together if that yes. makes any mm. sense totally and and that's part of the flowing nature of it and, that, and i reckon that leaves energetic doors ajar for growth, for mm. growth of, of of expansion of ideas and talking about different things and and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and anytime that the boundary is crossed, the, the respect boundary is crossed, it's corrected very, very quickly. Like it's like literally the other person will say to the other one, hey, I don't like the way you said X, Y, Z to me this morning or please don't speak to me like that in front of people like that ever again or, you know, or sometimes it's more assertive than that. You know what I mean? And mm. it's only from her to me. and so, But um, but that's, yeah, I, I just wanted to add that, Nick, because I didn't want people to think, oh, it's just luck. You know, it's like, well, it's luck, but it, you also got to work on it. And that's that's one of the key things is that you've got to have a healthy respect for each other um, and be very robust in your conversations. Robust, I know that you know what robust means, but in this context, robust means being open to ideas that have never been considered before. Mm. And that's what led us to moving from Melbourne to Noosa, by the way, was opening to ideas that we'd never considered before. Mm. Um, Yeah. So that's that part there. Uh, But there's another part there, Nick. Um, Forgive me here, because there's a gap in my answer to your point.
0: Okay. I think it's just uh, around the fear of what potentially is left behind when we grow, because growth is a very solo journey.
2: Love it, love it, love it, love it. it. So another aspect of emotional fitness is that emotional fitness is the art of letting go. Mm-hmm. It really is, and the more we hold on to aspects of our lives that no longer exist, the more pain we're going to. In fact, it won't be pain. It's not pain that you'll have. You'll have. You'll be suffering. So, this is a in a personal development world. What I'm going to say now is a cliche, but the reason why it's a cliche is because it's bloody true.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Is that in life, pain is going to happen. It's automatic. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. But suffering is a choice. Mm. And a lot of suffering happens because you're holding on to something, holding on to pain, holding on to a past something that no longer exists, that no longer has a, a role to play in your life. And it is, it is with the short time that we have, because then a, a, a question I often get asked in audiences when I'm talking, when I'm doing a training and I'm talking about letting go is, well you know, how do we how do we do that kind of thing? And I'll give you a sound bite, which is probably the most direct route. And that is to let go of anything, you've got to change your relationship with your thoughts. Now we're about to have a Shiraz drinking moment here because we're about to go.
1: <laughs> 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 Listeners, the other glass of
2: Shiraz, Andy. I'm not encouraging alcoholism.
1: Just let me press <laughs> pause, Joe. I'll go grab the bottle.
2: Right. <laughs> what does that even mean? Change your relationship with your thoughts. What? What on the heck are you talking about? Well, what we need to be aware of is, and this is where it gets weird for some people listening, perhaps. Uh, instead of weird, I prefer to call this challenging mm. for someone's psychology out there, but maybe. And that is that your thoughts aren't yours. They're literally like waves on a beach that are coming by. It's what we call a stream of consciousness. And there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thoughts happening at the same time. If you think about it this way, guys, it's like when you're tuning into your favourite radio station that's playing your favourite music, There are in that the radio that the radio or the iPhone or whatever the mechanism is that you're listening to, you know, tuning into that frequency, in that moment, there are thousands, I reckon there's millions, but I'll say thousands and thousands and thousands of frequencies going on where you can go to any station. I mean, there's a thing called iHeartRadio on my phone. You can listen to any station in the world, you can listen to American radio or whatever you want. There are so, but you can only listen to one station at a time. And It's a choice that you make. I want to listen to 90s music because I'm in the mood for that. Okay, so that's what you're tuning into. That's what you're going to get into the mood of. But at the same time, outside of our awareness is tens of thousands of different streams of frequency. Thoughts are the same. They are frequencies that are going through our mind, not literally, but for the sake of the languaging here, that's what's happening and you're choosing which thoughts to surf. It's exactly the same if you were surfing, body surfing, boogie boarding at the beach or just mucking around. You choose which wave you want to body surf or boogie board or surf. You're choosing it. But the wave, you haven't created it. Mm. It ain't yours. You're not the author of it. And like every wave, it arises, gets to a crescendo, and then it dies away. Thoughts are exactly the same. So when I say change your relationship with your thoughts to let go of anything is you become more aware of you being the observer of those thoughts, becoming aware that you are not the author and creator of those thoughts. You are the watcher, the witnesser, the observer of those thoughts. Now, this is a very deep conversation to have in a short period of time here because some people maybe, I don't know. They feel weird about this, but but that's how it actually is. It's like a radio. Thinking that our thoughts arouse and that's all that exists is like tuning into one radio station and telling everyone there's only one station. That's all that ex- I'm not aware of any other radio station. What were you talking about? Talkback mm-hmm. radio, 1970s music. Um, what do you mean? Political radio. What do you like? It's having that level of ignorance. And all of us are ignorant, by the way. All of us are ignorant. It's just that we're becoming more open to, oh, there's another station I can tune into. Oh, I didn't know that, uh, you know, that these guys here spoke about, you know, the footy on Saturday morning. I might tune into that for a couple. Oh, like that that's really, I get to catch up with my footy news here on this station, whatever it might be. It's like discovering a new show on Netflix, whatever it is. They all exist in the same space at the same time. So the ultimate way of letting go is that when you change your relationship with your thoughts and you begin to realize that the way that we create our perception of reality is determined by which thoughts we decide to focus on. Mm. And then the ego wants to put a meaning or an interpretation on what that thought means. Then suddenly it's like, you know, it's, you're, you're creating a narrative that's going to either, you know, it can be a good narrative, by the way, it can be something that makes you feel good or it can be something really weird. It's like, if I, if I, if there's, if I'm looking at, uh, I'm going to make all this up now. If I saw, Jane, Jane's a made-up person right now, right? Sitting here behind the screen that I'm looking, I'm looking at you guys on the screen, but let's pretend there's, there's a Jane over there. And for some reason, the way that Jane walks and talks and looks is triggering something in me, and I'm feeling a bit kind of strange. Um, she might remind me of a of someone at school that I didn't like or something. Um, by becoming an observer of thought, I can instead of getting caught up in that, I can look at these thoughts and go, "Well, hold on." Do you want to catch that? Mm. Do you want to catch that wave? Mm. Sometimes you go, it. let's get all dramatic because (laughs) drama is entertaining. And then you go into a whining, whinging. Oh, I saw Jane today. What a bitch. And then on it goes, on it goes, on it goes. Or you let the wave go to the the shore. Mm. That's letting go. That's letting go. You can apply this to anything in your life. And another aspect of this is um, you know, like back in Melbourne, uh, my, my grandparents or both sets of grandparents are gone now, but my, my grandparents from my dad's side, um, they passed away, you know, a little, I'll say 10 years ago, um, where they lived, which was only six doors up from, from where I grew up. So I was at home until the age of 26, which is quite old. That's when I got married. <laughs> was the reason why I left. Um, and, um, but only six doors up for, you know, 16, 17, 20 years. My grandparents lived there and I used to go and visit them every, you know, three or four days and all this and hang out there and all this. Now, they died, say, 10 years ago. The house that they lived in no longer exists. It's been uh, bowled over and a new young family has come in and built a brand-new modern thing. Even the driveway doesn't exist anymore. It's been reconcreted and all this sort of stuff. There is no fathom of evidence that my grandparents even existed for the 40 years that they lived on that block of land on their house
3: mm-hmm.
2: so that's another way that i look at things like i drive past that or when i was living in melbourne i would drive past that every so often if i happened to be down that street and i go wow it's, that's that's gone that doesn't exist anymore that aspect of my life at, like actually does not exist i can spend the rest of my life looking for that but they don't exist it's gone So that's another way that I let go of things is to realize and reinforce myself, hey, she's no longer there. He's no longer there. Now, now the conversation can easily turn here because sometimes I get asked the question, well, Joe, that sounds all great for life stuff and normal things, but what about when you lose someone that you love, like who actually passes away? Like, well, that's a different kettle of fish. And what I mean by that is that you know quite often people confuse grief with forgetting it's like we're not forgetting about them Mm. they're with us you will remember them probably even more profoundly now than when they were with you physically you will always remember you'll have them with you you'll even talk to them in the ether and there's nothing wrong with that letting go in that aspect is letting go of what you had Mm. you know the physicalness the Mm. Oh, you know, I, I, I go to the beach with my friend and my friend is no longer with us. No, I can't go to the beach anymore. Well, I might have to let go of the beach aspect of that experience, but I'm not letting go of them.
1: Mm. That's right. Am
2: I, am I making sense you guys? I mean, we're getting mm. into a whole different, there's so many different lane ways here that we can take. But I just wanted to explain that properly about the ultimate letting go is changing the relationship you have with your thoughts. Because the ego is very good, our mind. Our personality which is different words for ego is very good at convincing us that your thoughts are yours and my thoughts are mine mm-hmm. no they're just frequencies or streams of consciousness just like a radio it's just as ridiculous as me saying that my thoughts are mine the radio has created that song
3: mm.
2: yeah. the radio owns that song the radio is that song the radio is a transmitter we, we, we are transmitters.
1: Tradies in Business was here. Sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure. I'm joined by Coxie, of course. Hello. You may not know this, Tradie or Tradie Wife or whoever you are listening to this program, but we're business coaches. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that feels weird to say. (laughs) (laughs) But we do actually work with people just like you to solve a bunch of problems. And we have this fantastic program called the Tradiepreneur Programme. And that's how we do it. And we do it with a wonderful community of trade business owners who are all trying to fix or improve or change things to progress. Things like getting behind on quoting, Coxie. Feeling
0: overwhelmed, behind on your invoicing, feeling really stressed or frustrated about the money stuff. Sometimes you can pay the bills. Sometimes you can't. What about staff? Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, staff. Trying to get them to do what you want them to do. If you can even find them in the first place. Uh, there's so many struggles
1: and we've seen clients tackle these things in their trade businesses in a, quite a short space of time, to be honest, Mm -hmm. during the program and recruit staff at a time where everybody was saying you can't get good staff, Mm -hmm. improve their quality from their team, collect their debts much more quickly. We have sessions. tips. Yes
0: We are not worried about money. We've got enough money in the bank to pay everybody's leave. There's work booked in for the new year. And for the first time in a long time, we'll be having three weeks off and not worrying about the business. That's probably the biggest win of all.
2: Using the cash flow forecast, I've been able to look into the future and see where I'm gonna be situated financially. And it's actually
0: started to have a huge bearing on whether or not I make purchases. By far one of the best things about working with Nick and Moz are the other businesses that are working alongside them. It is amazing how empowering it is to be working alongside like-minded people who have similar goals, similar troubles. We can all relate to each other and everybody helps everybody out by figuring out problems with you that they may have faced previously everybody has solutions and constructive feedback and it's an incredibly friendly warm welcoming environment not threatening at all. From every job I know that I will get a sustainable wage that's industry leading I can have at least 10 to 20 percent profit and I can pay taxes super all of that and I do not have to question whether or not I can because of the way that it's been built and that is thanks to traders in business and what they've taught me and what I've learned.
1: So there you go. There's some real people. We did not pay them to say those things. (laughs) And I think that sounds a lot better than Coxie and I reading them out. We really would love for you to check out more about how you could take your trade business to where you would like it to be. Surely you have a vision of what things could be like or what you wish they were like on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that is reducing stress or actually making more money, maybe it's spending more time with the family, taking more holidays, having the choice Mm. that you really wanted when you started your business instead of this beast that seems to be there for many of you listening to this program. So if, You want to find out more about how we do this through the Tradepreneur program. Coxie's going to tell you all about it. (laughs) For free. That's how abundant we are. So head over to the website, uh, check it out, book a chat with us, and we'd love to find out if you'd be a great fit for the Tradiepreneur community and start hanging out with some of those people that you just heard from. <laughs> I
3: Trace
2: love it, Joe.
1: We, we haven't had uh, a Dm and <laughs> m episode for a while. Usually it's just Nick and I talking about marketing, which is boring as bat-dropping sometimes,
2: <laughs> I think. Am I, going too, <laughs> am I going too far, though, with what we've got you here know, so far? I,
1: no, and i'm I'm thinking about uh some of our clients, actually, I mean we know our clients, we don't know our listeners, um and all this is going, although this is going out to our listeners, hello listeners, who we don't really know, um some of whom have gone on to become clients when we get to know them. There you go, my brain's starting to bake a little bit as well. Uh, it's something that I think becomes suffering. You talked about you know, and I wrote down your quote, and I'm happy to put it on a coffee mug and send it back to you, Joe pain is a certainty suffering is a choice yeah and and i i see numbers of our clients experience pain and unfortunately they then choose suffering off the back of that and that looks like lying awake at nights unable to sleep because they're they're grabbing hold of thoughts about the materials that didn't get delivered to site yesterday or you know the kids shouted at me at dinner time or you know my partner's not appreciating how hard i'm working or all of these thoughts that that wash over us and i see people grab hold of those and they construct an identity out of that Mm -hmm. and there's
2: two aspects to that two important aspects one is what we've covered so far about everything about the thoughts relationship to thoughts the other aspect to this is that if there's dramas showing up in your life like how my children are speaking to me or how I handle, you know, the materials not arriving on time or whatever my issues are. How my friend responds and how my business partner responds to me, how my customers are treating me. If there's issues there, a really tough question, but a very good question that you can ask yourself is, there's actually two versions of it. I'll give you both versions. The first question is, how have I contributed to how this person is treating me? Mm-hmm. Or another way, more powerful way, I believe it's more powerful anyway, is how did I create this response in you mm-hmm. to me? <laughs> because, because if you want to write this down, for people who want to write this down, right, is it we are, whether whether you're not, whether you're not, whether we're aware of it, whether we're not, we are continually teaching people how to treat us. Mm-hmm. So... Everything I said about relationship to thoughts is fine and well, but if at the root cause, at the other end of the spectrum, you're, if I can speak in slang terminology, if you're being a dick and people treat you like a dick, well, you've got a role. You're playing a role in that. It's creating that. But if on the other hand, you are speaking respectfully to people, you respect boundaries, you know when to be quiet, you know when to speak, you know when to speak up, when to not speak, you become aware of this through life, learning through experiences is that people start to treat you very, very differently because of the way that you treat them and also how you treat yourself. Mm. Mm. It's very difficult for me to trust you, was if I don't trust myself. Mm. It's really difficult for me to love you if I can't stand being myself. That's right. So so we are the we are the root cause of not the reality, the perception. Because reality doesn't exist. Mm. All that exists is our perception of reality. And we know this is true because everyone experiences reality differently. If reality was real, we would all be saying exactly the same thing. We'd all be barricading for the mighty magpies, following the (laughs) AFL, and and living in some godforsaken town in Melbourne. and, And there'd be nothing else in existence. So, But we clearly do not see reality the same way because we, it doesn't exist. What exists is our perception, our psychological construct, our perception of well, what we're seeing. And so how you are perceiving how people see you is often a reflection of how you see yourself. So I just really want to highlight this point because we are at the root cause of not what's happening, we are at the root cause of perception mm. and, and, and now I'm going to sound like a little bit of a little bit of a dick. Um, but people don't, people extremely rarely, if ever, treat me disrespectfully or speak to me in a really unkind way, or I've rarely experienced that because I know, and this is the dicky part, is because I know what I think of me, is that I'm happy with my life. I, I love what I bring and who I am and all that sort of stuff. I'm at peace. If I was to die at the age of 52 right now, and I was on my last breath, I'd be thinking, I'm happy with my contribution here. I'm happy with what I've given here. It's okay. Could I, would I have loved to have given more? Of course. Would I love to have lived another 30 years? Of course. But if that's the end, that's the end.
1: Um, who knows?
2: This could be the last podcast ever.
1: <laughs> Sincerely, I'm not, I'm not that you've, Joe. You've yeah, got, you got a lot more to offer of the world, mate. But do, do you hear what I'm saying?
2: Is that we contribute to how you respond. So your 100%. customers will treat you according to how you treat them and how you treat yourself. And your 100%. listeners that need to really be aware of that because um, we've got a role to play in how people treat us.
1: There's a fantastic business coach um, that I know fairly well. Uh, her name's Nicole. And uh, she often says exactly that. You know, we teach people how to treat us and, and especially customers and even staff as well, you know, to relate this obviously back to the fact that most of our podcast listeners are business owners in some form or another, we, we hear business owners and employers complaining. Mm. It's like, and they're, they're literally blaming the, the customers for treating them like crap uh, and being crappy customers and being price focused and all this sort of stuff. And I guess, you know, Coxie and I talk a lot about the uh, perhaps the operational um, procedural aspects of how that comes about in our marketing messaging and our communications and whether we're actually attracting those people and there's this whole other aspect to that that you're diving quite uh, you know willingly into Joe that we teach them how how to treat us because of largely how we treat ourselves and we see husband and wife partnerships that, that wrestle with this stuff in a business partnership as well because you know the Mm -hmm. wife doesn't feel like she's worthy of the title of business manager because she's just she's just helping out with the books and trying to do the kids stuff and feed the husband and put up with his shit when he comes home late and gets the grumps on because he's got to do invoicing and you know there's all this friction and and um, dissatisfaction around relationships that come from self Mm -hmm. and sometimes I find it really hard to, uh, I guess, you know, in, in some sense, and I'll be honest, listeners, I want to make you see this because I know it's good for you. You know, it's like my 11-year-old daughter. It's like, take the flippin' medicine. It's going to stop your cough. It's going to help you. And she's like, but it tastes disgusting. I don't want to drink it. I'm like, but if you drink it, you'll get better. And it's like, but it tastes yuck. I don't want it. And so, you know, I can make her take the medicine because she's 11 and I'm her dad. But yeah. I can't really do that with a 42-year-old carpenter and his wife because there's got to be this element of choice yeah Yeah. is there i mean you work in this space and have done for 16 years Mm. how how do you influence people to choose differently based on what you've just shared over the last half an hour or so joe great yeah well
2: yeah yes so an emotionally an emotional adult thinks long-term an emotional child thinks short-term So your 11-year-old daughter, normal response. She's 11. She's a short-term thinker. She's thinking, I don't want to drink the medicine. It tastes awful. Uh, Doesn't think about the long-term benefit. Mm. There are a lot of people who are 40, 50, 60 who are still thinking like children,
3: Mm. Mm.
2: short-term. I I know people like this in my family uh, who just have... uh, The biggest problem that you can have in business is that you've still got the same effing problem that you had back in nineteen ninety. (laughs) or back in 2005 it it shows me short-term thinking is that all you're doing is reacting to that problem and not willing to look you know look up with your eyes and look at the horizon and go well hold on you know what why am I even in this in the first place what do I want to create for myself what's the long-term vision and and the long-term thinking is what will pull you through those short-term difficulties and Unfortunately, there are business owners that I have come across in my journey who, as I say, keeps doing the same part with the same problems because they can't get themselves out beyond that short term thing. So it's like metaphorically, that cough will just stay around for a lot longer. And every time it comes back, I, 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 I choose to not deal with it, but I've given myself the illusion that I don't know how to deal with it. But hold on, was told me a while ago that if I drink this medicine, which tastes like oh my god, awful, but for long-term gain, it's going to be amazing. It's like Silvana and I, when we decided to buy this house that needs renovation. Uh, you know, she was getting all emotional, like like I'm being very uh, sort of you know, she was expressing a lot of emotion, saying why we should not do this, and I kept saying to her. And she kept accusing me of coaching her. I said, <laughs> I'm not coaching you. I'm just stating a bloody fact is that we're going through six months of hardship or whatever difficulty for the, for a 10 year gain or a 20 year gain, even if it's a five year gain, mm. it's still long-term it's worth it. And, uh, we had this conversation back and forth over a series of, you know, 24 hours, cause we had to make a decision about the contract. And then we went for it, as you know. So, um, and sure look I, I must admit even now being in the in the thick of it right now it's like oh my god but i know i keep reminding myself even with my, what i know i get caught up in the short-term thinking which is oh oh man you're kidding and oh that and, and then it's like hold on rise your eyes above the ground or through that story like into the horizon go on where are we going to be here in another year in mm-hmm. three years five years ten years oh my lord it's, it's worth it and mm-hmm. suddenly how i feel about the particular drama going on Um, i can handle it better remember emotional fitness is measured by the quality of your relationship with uncertainty and you can't manage uncertainty if you're addicted to short-term dramas
1: Mm. joe you have just absolutely read my mind because something i wanted to loop back around to is that concept of uncertainty there is a lot of uncertainty in life now and I I sometimes talk to people about um, what I believe, so my personal opinion, is that there's always been um, infinite uncertainty in life. Nobody knows shit about anything. Um, Nobody knows what's happening tomorrow. We convince ourselves that we do, of course, because then we can actually go to sleep at night. Um, And i think a lot of people have convinced themselves that there's more uncertainty than ever before and that, that justifies the fear response and the, the you know fight flight or freeze that they experience on a daily basis the emotional responses that they have so i love that you've just kind of brought all of that back around to that whole relationship with uncertainty i'm conscious of, of the fact that I could probably spend another two hours um, poking you so that you just keep sharing more and more information and that would be really <laughs> unfair on everybody. Um, just on that, is there, I guess, you know, I don't want to package this up into just some little tidbit thing where it's like this, there's this magical pill you can take and hey, presto, now you can accept uncertainty. Has it been something that you've seen people do or, or that you um, have practiced with people that... Perhaps it moves them closer to that, being okay with a little more uncertainty and perhaps letting go of that need to know what the freaking hell is going to happen tomorrow.
2: So I think the best answer I can give you, uh, because this is a short answer, we don't have a workshop of two or three hours to, to you know work through this. Uh, what the last two years has done, three years of uncertainty, is that it, it has unveiled to everyone what areas of their life they need to work on. Mm. So right. if you've if you've been stuck at home for, the, for, for X number of months and you're having trouble with your husband, your wife, your children, this, that and the other, it's just made what was previously not as obvious bloody obvious. Mm. Uh, if you've got money issues, it's highlighting your relationship with money or however you've been managing and so on and so forth. And so what the last two and a half, three years has done has amplified what was already there. If your relationship is strong and beautiful, well, that's been amplified even more. It's 10X over the last two and a half, three years. But if you were in a shitful relationship before, well, now you're in a whole world of hell because mm. it's been amplified, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's more an awareness piece that shows us, okay, well, what area of my life do I need to change? That's why people have made lots of life-changing decisions a lot of people have, we have, by moving from Melbourne to Noosa and changing Leaving all family behind, we don't know anyone here. Well, now we know lots of people, but moving here, we did not know anyone. Mm. And um, on a logical level, it didn't make any sense at all. On a pragmatic logical level, it didn't make any sense. Um, But from a heart level, it it made a lot of sense. It was that uncertainty of those two years, especially in Melbourne where we were apparently the most shut down city in the world, uh, it, it made it obvious to us because you know what it did. It created a question from Silvana to me. I reckon the I reckon the the, the pandemic created a question in Sylvana's awareness that she asked me, which changed our direction. She said, "Do you want to die here?" And we lived in a place called Mini Ponds in Melbourne, which we adored, six kilometres out from the city. It was just, we loved it. Lived in that house for twenty-two years. Um, she said, "Do you want to die here in Mini Ponds?" And without thinking, my immediate answer was no. Mm. And it was because we were spending so much extraordinary time together at home with two boys doing uh, online learning and all that stuff that these questions were just floating in the ether that we just tuned into. In other words, we tuned into a radio station that mm. we didn't know existed. <laughs> and I was like, do you want to die here FM? I was like, shit, I don't like this station. <laughs> no. so, so let's start thinking about how we can move to somewhere where we can be more aligned to who we're becoming. And it's incredible how many people of like-minded we've met here that reflect what we think is important about living a good life. So um, I hope I've answered your question was, but that, that it really is, I think, a deep highlighter of what inevitably we're going to find out is got to be worked on in your life, or at least attended to, that if otherwise would have taken you maybe ten years to figure out instead of
1: two. Mm. Love that perspective, Joe. Um, now, in the interests of uh, letting you actually get on with your day, mate, <laughs> and letting our listeners uh, stop their third cup of coffee or you know finish the bottle of Shiraz or whatever they're on to while they're listening to this, um, I have a question that I'm really keen to ask you that I've been asking on this podcast for more than seven years, um, and that is if you had a thousand trade business owners, let's call them, a 1,000 tradies in a room, what's one piece of advice you would love to leave them with?
2: Never make a promise that you don't know that you can deliver. Only make promises that you are 100% certain that you can deliver. Nice. Otherwise, don't make it because I've experienced it myself as a consumer. hmm I've had a couple of people promise me things that well, they said, oh, I promise you this. Or they, they, they don't necessarily even use the words I promise, but it's the internet, like it's a promise. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I walk away from the conversation going, you shouldn't have said that mm-hmm. because you're talking about something that is beyond your control and you're promising me that. You're setting me up for disappointment.
3: Absolutely. And, then,
2: and then if you do meet that promise, it's just even kill. I'm not going to feel anything better. I'm just going to go, well, you said you were going to deliver it then, so that's what it is. Mm. does that make sense so mm. only promise on things that you've got some kind of influence on otherwise you're going to be disappointing your people
1: love that and, and then I feel like that leads to pain and then we'll choose suffering and then we end up with what we've got so awesome Joe awesome awesome now, I suspect that there'll be a few listeners, many of whom are our tradiepreneur clients, still listen to this podcast, um, but I suspect there'll be a few people who are like, okay, we've got to go and check out this Joe guy. Is he legit or is he full of shit? Um, <laughs> where can people go and find out more about you and your programs and everything else that is Joe Pane?
2: Yeah, well, they can go to joepane.com.au. Mm-hmm. Um that's, that's my only and that's my website. Um, the other thing I have is a private group on Facebook, where if if this message has genuinely resonated with with you, um, best place to go on Facebook is um, what we call the Emotional Fitness Hub. It's free for all. I mean, you, you have to apply to get in. Apply to something means ask to get in, and I I'm the gatekeeper sort of thing. And it's a closed community. Every Wednesday, so later on today, today being Wednesday, as at the time of this recording. Um, every Wednesday, I do a little mini training and it goes for about 15 minutes, uh, 15, yeah, 10, 15 minute uh, insight into something like this, these kinds of conversations. Uh, all to do with emotional fitness and we've got a beautiful community there of wonderful people. Um, I reckon that's a great place to mm-hmm. go to, to belong. If you want to belong to this kind of resonance, this kind of conversation, these kinds of words, these kinds of ideas, this kind of thinking, um, the emotional fitness hub would be something you may want to consider. Um, and then yeah, on joeparni.com.au, it's just a bit more about uh, what I do and all
1: that kind of stuff.
0: Nice. Thank you, Joe. I was actually, I think we were both extremely excited about today and having the opportunity to get to know you a little bit more. Your, uh, talk conference for me was extremely practical. I explained to you how I was able to use a lot of what you just taught me immediately and has shown up. You know, I've watched it in Warwick's coaching. I know that it's shown up in my own coaching since then and I really encourage our listeners to take some time to check out you and what you do I think it's extremely valuable I have worn a hole in the side of my tongue biting it so that I didn't ask you another 20 questions because I'm absolutely certain that we will have the opportunity to talk with you again in one concept or or one way or another Um, it's a joy to find like-minded people that are so comfortable to share in a really relatable way mm. some messages that are incredibly important for us all to hear. Mm. Um, they can take away a lot of that suffering that so many of us are choosing. I really thank you for your time today.
2: No, mm. uh, thanks, Nicole. Oh, oh, can I call you Coxie now?
0: You certainly can. You've Has
2: <laughs> <Is> that <laughs> relationship right? moved to that level? I can it say It really
0: Coxie. has. It really <laughs> has. I
2: love it. Uh, no, thank you both. I really, um, really appreciate uh, you having me here. And look, I, I really hope that. Um, yeah, there was something in that for your listeners that uh, has been of genuine
1: value. There was a whole dump truck full of gold, mate, in today's episode. So uh, thanks heaps, Joe. Listeners, echo what Coxie said. Definitely go check Joe out. He's the real deal. He's a fantastic bloke. Um, love your work, Joe. And uh, like Coxie, I feel uh, I feel that there's more of us pestering you in your future, mate. So uh, <laughs> thanks again All for good. being on the show. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Nicole.